Hi, welcome back to Tent Talks. We are back with Mariah, Liz's daughter. Hey. Hey. If you didn't check out part one, please do. Just as a brief overview, we were talking about differences in generations. Mariah is a Gen Zer, and she was helping us understand a little bit from her perspective what's going on with Gen Z and how that relates with other generations and some of the pressures with her cohort. We wanted to dive in a little deeper and talk to Liz and Mariah about their relationship because Mariah's the oldest and I think you guys have been through a lot and now that you're an adult and you're both adults, you've got this different perspective on how you got to this place in your relationship, the hard work that you've put in. And so I'm mostly going to just turn the time over to you guys to model and help explain what worked, what didn't work, and how you've been able to get to this place as adults where you have really good communication. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Stacy. Yeah. So I think we've definitely been through a lot of things. And as I think a parent, a, a young mom who's kind of thrown into that based on religious beliefs and mindsets that this is just what you did kind of were with, you a child mother like how i a teen was mother. 20 20 okay yeah when i had mariah so you were yeah so i was very 19. young i think child mother well, maybe i was 20 when i got pregnant i really have to do the math and maybe i was 21 when i had you hmm. yes i was 21 when i had her so But still, right? In this society, that's really young. And I did feel really young. And I felt very unprepared, you know, very unprepared. And there wasn't a lot of parenting education around me. It was like monkey see, monkey do type learning. Just jump right into (laughs) it. You'll, You'll be ready. Yeah. And a lot of this older generation going, oh, mothers just know your instincts this. And And I felt like because I am naturally, I think, more emotion-based, I did sense things and I did that. But but there's a lot of women who don't know what people are talking about when they talk about motherly instincts. And so I've really come to learn that's a poor way of like helping mothers and and parents. It's a non-way of helping mothers. Yeah. Oh, you'll just know. Leave it up to instincts. Yeah. And I... Here's zero tools. Right. Right. (laughs) I think people look to moms like when baby's crying or Mariah's fussing this or that. Everyone, what does she want, Liz? What does she want? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out, I guess. You know, <laughs> like it was kind of just like, you need to know and you need to have this pulse on your baby. And I feel like a special kind of protection for mothers because of my training with midwifery. But one of my specialities was postpartum care and we don't give mothers tools and we expect them to know. And I just want to differentiate that having birth does use a part of your brain that is instinct, but parenting is totally different. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming out of the biggest physical expression of your body yet, having a baby, and you're probably sleep deprived, you're probably not bathing as often as you need to or eating as regularly, and your body's in this major recovery You don't have all the tools, so you can't rely off of instinct because you're relying off of trauma and lack of sleep and, Mm -hmm. you know, basically being alone. It's very rare that moms 
come in and live with you for a couple of weeks or you've got constant help. Yeah. More than not, you're alone. You're trying to navigate. You're trying to learn this new role, this new person. And so when I say that you're like thrown no tools by saying rely on your instincts, that's coming from a place of like a lot of compassion because sure. I do believe in women's instincts. And I also believe that after you've had a kid, that's a different part of the brain than like having a child, like yeah. physically. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. Well, and, and as kind of an emotional kid, adolescent, I like anxiety wasn't something I was unfamiliar with. At the time, I didn't know it was anxiety because my family didn't talk about like mental health terms or things like that very often. And they were still new. But I, I know now that I was a very anxious child. And so this actually wasn't a huge adjustment as far as my mental state, because now I had this anxiety for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, I can tell like I need to nurse and, and oh, you know, the baby needs something. And so I, I use that anxiety in more ways that made sense, right in my brain. And so I, I don't know, it didn't feel like a huge shock as far as emotional gravity. And I really loved it. I fell in love with motherhood immediately. And I felt purpose, right? I felt this purpose. And I'm sure that that started a lot of years of more toxic codependence on my kids, right? For, you know, meaning and, and something I've really had you to deconstruct. You give me my sole purpose yeah, in yeah. life. And I did. Mm -hmm. And I went and Mariah was my hit buddy. And I went everywhere with her. And I didn't like to leave her for more than an hour. It was just... It was terrifying for me. I was very attached. I was very attached, right? And so I think we're so focused on making sure our kids are attached, but we're unaware sometimes maybe of our attachment and is it toxic or is it unhealthy in some ways. But just to chime in, I mean, at that age, I'm now at the age you were when I was, what, one or two, mm -hmm. uh, infant, and I don't have kids, but how could you have known? I mean, yeah, you don't get any tools and about parenting or anything like that. And all of a sudden, you have this this offspring. And at, at my age, I, I can hardly take care of myself. I can hardly rem remember to eat breakfast in the morning. How How are you supposed to know, like the codependency or or reliance that you have on this other human being because you're trying to survive and you're trying to keep this little little new human being alive too i mean that's like just so it seems so natural to me but it's so terrifying being that age now like i cannot even comprehend what that must have been like and that's the thing is like i don't know i have this maybe this imposter feeling when you say that too because it slowed me down and connected me and grounded me in ways I'd never experienced. So although I can look back now and say, oh, I know that that thing is called codependence, or maybe I was overly attached. And that came up later when I had to do my own work and learn my own individuation from my kids. But it was just, it was magical for me. Yeah. And I and I know that it's not that way for all mothers. And for good reason, we're not all called to do the same work. And, and not all men love being an attorney or, a, you know, like, 
we're we're versatile beings and i think to say that all women are designed to be mothers is a is a very dangerous mentality but i fell in love with that caretaker role and that's all i wanted to do was do things with my kids snuggle with my kids and take care of them i want to just do a quick shout out to this movie that just came out called the lost daughter and it talks about this thing that we need to talk about more in our society, which is people who don't relate to the role of motherhood and where they feel she uses the term an unnatural mother. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that we're waking up and talking about this, it's helping the collective heal. And just as it's okay for you to say, this was such a magical time and I was getting so much out of it and it was slowing me down in good ways. That's helping people to hear that as well as this other voice of this wasn't right for me. Yeah. I didn't feel that immediate connection. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think we have to embrace again our space and how maybe biology calls us to different roles and that yeah. has to be okay. But yeah, it was something that I, I loved the raising small children phase. And, you know, I won't go into pregnancies. Those were not my highlights of my existence. But I definitely just loved being a mother. And so I I, I maybe over-identified with it, right? I over-identified with my role as a mother and defined myself very deeply. And I think a lot of mothers fall into this trap, too. And that's kind of the determination of our worth or success is based out of our performances as a parent or a mother. So then when your kids start getting older and they start doing things that, you know, people might judge you for, or then they start talking back to you, you don't respond well in those moments. And so I, that's where I want to kind of invite you and Mariah to talk about where you noticed our relationship kind of going downhill because Although it seems started off as magical, I think for both of us, it was this magical euphoria. It started to go downhill. And do you remember when that was for you? And That's tough because, you know, there's obviously defining moments in our, in our lives that affected our relationship and I think contributed to the downhill, such as the divorce when I was, what, 12? But... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was really so great up until then, right? Like I don't I don't really remember. But I think the struggle there too, I mean, now that I can look back was, you know, you were trying to find a more healthy life and 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 maybe you were doing what was best for us kids for you. And I as a 12-year-old, I couldn't realize that and I think we both really struggled with that transition and her relationship. I think that was a very big part where where we just started to took a turn. Took yeah. a turn. I think that, you know, it's obviously normal for kids to go through this struggle, but I think because I had so over-identified with my role that way and wanting you to be happy when you were struggling and seeing you angry or angry at me, I didn't respond well to it. That was really hard. It was hard for me to show up and validate your grief and loss and 
this experience because I was working so hard to make sure my kids, you know, are getting through it the best possible way or over exhausting myself to take care of them. And now I had to go back to work and do all these things and be a single parent. And then my kids struggling and crying out. And I'm like, I'm doing what else can I do? You know, I'm drowning. Give me a break here. And it's hard not to make it about us in that moment. And I definitely did. Yeah, this just came to me. But I think in regards to that, one of the things that maybe could have been done better, I mean, you were going through so much and you should have had times, lots of times where it was about you. But I think it may be, yeah, something that could have been done better was the information, the talking about it, because there was this huge shift in family dynamic and and life was changing and I didn't even know why. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even comprehend, you know, like I didn't know what was going on. I knew what was going on. Like I knew that divorce was coming. I, I could sense it, but it was you, never said. You sensed it for years before Years. That. Yeah. I remember okay. having mm-hmm. a nightmare one mm-hmm. night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk about it a lot. I, I remember having this nightmare and I woke up in tears and just... I had I had this dream you guys got divorced and it was like so traumatic for me. I was like shaking from this nightmare and and you know I remember you and dad coming in and and reassuring me you know oh, honey that would never happen and whatever. But it's crazy how kids can sense these things and and what about that mentality though? Do you think is right. dangerous when parents go in and say oh we're fine this will never happen. That exactly is it. That 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 in itself is dangerous. I mean, you can't. There's no certainty ever in life, and we want to provide that for our children. We want our children to feel safe and and not worry about the future. We want them to enjoy their childhood and feel certain about it. But I I don't think you can. Kids kids are capable of a lot more than than we think they are, and they sense they they know when stuff is going on. They know it parents dying of cancer and you choose not to tell your kids or something like that because you're hoping to preserve their suffering. Or- yeah. And preserve their memory of you or, or their childhood, but they know, they know that it is happening and they start, they manifest it. They get upset. I knew something was happening. I knew. And, and I think that's why my anger and our relationship was so, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was just rough. It was just tense because I couldn't verbalize it and nobody else was. It was so frustrating. And I think this kind of generational gap too of like, you know, my parents' generation sweeping everything under the rug and holding really deep secrets. And I didn't want that, but I didn't know how to be open either. Mm -hmm. And there was this avoidant feature that I I did and still always will will deal with in battle of like I don't you know I don't want to talk about things and so you're right like just I think that just feels confusing to children and like a betrayal mm-hmm. you know when we don't confront the the emotional material and content and we just like we're too we're too overwhelmed feeling it but yet these kids are feeling it just as big 
and they need a context. They right. need the information. Right. And maybe maybe you didn't even know what what you were feeling or what the real reasoning was either, but it's it almost felt like you know, nobody, it wasn't even, it wasn't just you, it was nobody talked about it. And it felt like everyone was like denying my reality, the reality that was happening. Like, well, this is happening. Why are you pretending that it's not? Or, or it felt like people were pretending it it wasn't. And, and so I, yeah, it felt isolating, not only <laughs> to say the least, but also just, yeah, just so emotionally frustrating and scary. Yeah. And you always took on this kind of protector role with your younger siblings. Mm -hmm. And so I think I look back now and see you and your actions and, and maybe what other people might classify as behavioral problems or emotional outbursts as you trying to be that instigator of the conversation and be like, hey, hey, everybody that want, you know, that wants to just pretend this isn't going on. You know, mm -hmm. we need to talk about this because there are other kids here, too, that need to be supported. And I, I kind of see that now as what, you know, was going on, what you were trying to do. Right. And yeah, not sure. wasn't really conscious. I mean, <laughs> it didn't feel like I had a choice. It was like, <laughs> I don't know. This just has to come out. Like, and, and yeah, there was just, there was so much anger and uncertainty and it was also like why why are you making everyone's lives difficult <laughs> is what i i felt like people thought like you're just making it worse you know yeah but a lot of ruptures were coming up in that point and i think not just in the whole family system but mm -hmm. in our relationship and we felt a lot of disconnect at least that's kind of how i would describe it like right. we were very disconnected during that time I remember feeling this grief and loss period where it felt like my daughter doesn't love me anymore. And I went through this self-loathing phase, you know, that parents feel when they feel attacked by their kids. And, and definitely I internalized that maybe way too much because again, I over-identified with motherhood and making sure my kids were happy and loved me. And, and so that kind of made me want to just hide and not address it more. But yet we did try doing conjoint therapy. Do you remember what that was like and <laughs> pros and cons uh, of that? I, oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like we tried that a few times. <laughs> I don't think we had enough experience either to really know if it was a good thing or not, or whether the therapist we went to was helpful i i think she was good individually and i think her focus was like in women you know women's issues and empowerment but when i brought you in there it did seem like an alignment with me and what you would think in a power dynamic that you would align more with the child who has a power disadvantage right like you empower there to be more equality with voice and sharing that space. And I, I think that was really triggering for you. And I think I would have felt the same way. I think I would have hated it. <laughs> yeah, I got to be honest with you. I don't really remember it. I think I dissociated it. <laughs> yeah. um, what did work? What was working? What helped you guys 
get more forgiveness and harmony in your relationship? You know, I think as our relationship improved, I mean, mom, you obviously did a lot of hard work on yourself and not saying that that's what had to happen was oh, only you needed to change. But I think you did a lot of work on improving your tactics and even getting conversation, I don't know, open conversation and stuff like that. But I think what where we did have an advantage was that our, I mean, ever since I can remember, our ability to repair was just, has always just been so great and something I've been so grateful for. And it only improved from there. I mean, yeah, it was, it was hell back then. I went, I mean, it sucked. I was a monster. We, yeah, it sucked, but. Yeah, we both were in really reactive states, but you're right. I think if we can just accept the mistakes and error and repair, there is something that brings us back to some kind of resolve and understanding with being able to be okay with each other's humanity and mistakes. I always tell people, you know, when working with clients too, like, and I, and I would love to take credit for this. Stacy, you and I talked about how for some of us, it doesn't feel like a choice. Healing doesn't feel like a choice. Well, when I went to grad school, it was kind of like going into like this individual intensive treatment for myself. And I had to do a lot of self work. And that's when things started shifting mm-hmm. that I stopped focusing on my kid and oh, I need to help her. She's got these issues and started to turn that lens on me. That's when things really started to change. Mm -hmm. I noticed like, I mean, looking back, it's like night and day, but of course, you know, it didn't feel like immediate in the moment, but it was like, I think you knew Mariah that like (laughs) I was working on the core issues and not projecting that onto you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, for what it's worth for me back then, I feel like it definitely felt like night and day. I think we've always, yeah, had that ability to repair and had this certain type of closeness, even, (laughs) even at a great distance. I remember kind of feeling like even just in your parenting style, one thing that I use an example a lot with people is like huge, huge thing for me was when you kind of sat down and you're like, you know, I'm I'm thinking of changing some things and this is how things are going to go. You know, you're going to have natural consequences to things and I might get upset about certain things. Just know like we're going to establish what those consequences will be. But I love you unconditionally. You're allowed to fuck up and you'll have consequences, but it doesn't change my love for you, which was such a drastically impactful thing to me because, you know, other parental figures in my life, you know, when I was either acting out or angry or fucked up, it was it was like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you lying to me? And like, you know, just made me feel even worse. And and just hearing you say, like, you're allowed to fuck up. And yes, you'll face the consequences, but I'll love you nonetheless. Like, that was like huge. I was like, what? You can still love me <laughs> after all, all this shit, you know? Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I remember one time, and maybe a lot of parents could relate, where I went down to your room and you had this picture hanging up. And it was like, I don't know, you drew this picture of a like a hand flipping off and 
And it, <laughs> I don't know if it said like, fuck you parents or something <laughs> like that. And I, yeah, I was like, you know, this like burning rage started building up. And I remember confronting you about it. I'm like, what's this? And you're like, you said very poignantly, that's not fair. That's my personal space and outlet. That's like reading a page of my journal diary and then taking it personally. And I was like, I just couldn't even like say anything about that. I was like, you're right. You you get to like be angry at me sometimes and make this whatever shrine of anger, you know? <laughs> and yeah, we started doing more stuff like that and just more like allowing the emotional expression to come out however it needed to come out. Like a lot started rebuilding during those years, even though it wasn't easy, there was still a lot of contention and issues and, you know, this battle with school. And, and with that, I use this example a lot. And, you know, parents might roast me for it, they might not agree. But when you were a senior, I don't know if it was when you were a junior that we had sat down and, and I remember we, we went over to your dad's house and sat down and talked about it because, you know, we were trying to co-parent. <laughs> and oh, yeah. um, you that. were giving some good feedback on what wasn't working. It was like it was triggering for you to be nagged. It was triggering for you to have me remind you or, you know, to force you to go to school or get your homework done. And I And I tried to take that to heart. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. I will back off. And I want you to know that I will wait for you to come to me for help. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, I I sucked at school, but I think that respect there and, and giving me some authority in my life to maybe call some of the shots and, and you know, and, and I feel like as hard as it is to to trust that your kids can make like that conscious decision, like I knew if I missed school... I knew I was failing. I knew the consequence of it. I knew I was truant or whatever. And it was more so after that, my problem, like I had to deal with that. And, and just giving me that responsibility, I mean, versus like, oh, you're just incapable of being responsible and, and stuff like that. I mean, was, was I think super impactful and I did not turn around and get straight A's after that. I barely scraped through school, but I think personality-wise and healing-wise, it was great. I think it, yeah, and I think, you know, you deserve to take a ton of credit for that. But I think it really challenged this whole parent mindset that comes from those older generations of you got to enforce this kind of control or expectations with your kid. They need you to do it. And I had to kind of obliterate that in my head and just give you back all the power and say, I trust you. Mm Mm-hmm. I trust you and I'm going to let go of even this expectation that you need to do it this way. There's other options, right? Like if you don't pass public school, we we have other options. It's not like the world ends and we can't keep continuing, you know, Mm -hmm. like this isn't the end of the world, but if this is what you need and you're telling me that's what you need, I trust you. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't like, perfect. I had to battle a lot of fears after that of like, should I be more active? Should I be going down there and making her get to school? Should I do this? And I had to really silence and quiet down all of that and 
I think it, it in a way it was it was a success because you thrived in an environment where you were in control. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that once we started rebuilding that trust, just something I wasn't super familiar with feeling trusted, you know, and once once we started rebuilding that trust, all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, I don't have the desire to like sneak out or <laughs> you know start fights or like it's it wasn't fun anymore it was like oh my gosh like i i am allowed to be a human being and i have agency i i have some power in my own life so therefore like i had no no more motivation to to act out in other ways because you trusted me and we started rebuilding that and I felt like I could come to you and we could talk about it finally. You know, it was like, parents, you're not failing as a parent to trust your kid and maybe even be a little less involved in their lives. Like, as as weird as that is to say, kids need to learn and they need to feel like they're learning on their own sometimes. Yeah, and I think with this generational mindset shift you know we we are as a human species evolving to become more advanced and more wise and i think we need to learn to listen more and preach less and really kind of learn together like our kids teach us i remember the the psychologist we recently interviewed with she's like you've raised amazing kids and i said or they raised me, you know, <laughs> that's what, that's what it feels like. And, uh, yeah, it's, this is, this is over the course of many, many years. And yeah. also like, it doesn't mean suddenly we never have problems and things like that, but right. you know, I think we, yeah, developing this deep trust of like, we know that the other person will work it through and we have that history that we've built. And I think it really takes that between a parent and a child. Yeah. yeah. Stacy, you want to add anything about parenting in this time and like what advice you would give parents? Because non-parent advice is really valuable too, because you see a perspective that some people don't. I'm just really loving hearing you guys model healthy boundaries and trust and great communication. And that's something that a lot of people don't grow up with. And I think our listeners, as well as me, have learned a lot. And I guess just in closing this idea that we're all mentoring each other, like because the younger generation has perspectives that parents don't have, they can mentor each other through. And and if we approach humanity and relationships with that idea of I can learn something and I can also teach something. That's the kind of reciprocity I want to live by. And I just really appreciate hearing your guys' experience today because I've learned a lot. I love that. I love that. Men- like a, we're all mentoring each yeah, other. Yeah, like a collaborative family approach. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thanks Beautiful. so much, everybody. Thanks, Mariah. Thank coming. you, guys. Yeah. <laughs>